Hey, Katie. Hey, Ben. Today we're talking about Shapley values, and I don't know what they are. I can't pun off of it. And so I'm hoping maybe you can tell, tell me what they are in this episode. And then at the end, if any punsters are listening who have puns that I could have used, well, <laughs> they, can send, they can send an email to ben at lineardigressions.com. Sounds great. Okay, cool. Wonderful. I'm off the hook today. Uh, you are listening to Linear Digressions. So what is a Shapley value? And like, why, why are we talking about it? Good question. So Shapley value, I'm actually going to postpone that for a minute because I think it makes a little bit more sense once you give the machine learning context. And since this is a machine learning podcast, that's right. a reasonable okay. place to start. Um, and one of the things that can be really hard about machine learning is that models, especially models that tend to have the highest predictive accuracy, tend to be pretty black boxy and hard to understand. So in other words, they'll give you an answer, but they won't tell you why it got that answer. And especially in order to establish trust in a model, um, in order to understand the underlying processes, maybe that's what you're trying to do. Maybe you want to have insights into how to improve the model. There's all these reasons why you might want a model that's interpretable. And so the fact that the really good models are hard to interpret is a problem. Mm, yeah, we have. Th- this seems like it's kind of a, a running theme. We've talked about this a couple times with a, a couple different methods of interpreting why different algorithms give the results that they give. Um, I'd never thought about it in terms of trust. That makes a lot of sense because you can have an algorithm that's really good on the things that you're training it on, but maybe when generalized, there are some corner cases that might give you really, really bad uh, values or bad results. And so if you have some idea of what the model is actually doing, you might be able to preempt those bad results or maybe put in certain protections or find some things to train it on that that would help keep the negative pieces uh, down, I suppose. I think it's even a little more basic than that, although those Mm. are really good points. Um, And this is flavored a little bit by my the work that I do kind of my day job, which is I work at a company that does a lot of data science working with other companies because there are clients. We do like consulting work and technology work and things like that. And so what that means is that very often when we go and work with these companies, there might be some folks in our client, the client organizations that understand data science or they have some interest in doing it, but most people don't, right? And so very often in order to get a data science initiative to succeed, you need to get people who don't really understand these models to be using them to make decisions. And so for someone like me who has a lot of technical understanding of how the models work, I'm very comfortable with that because, you know, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel scary to me. Um, But if you're someone who's never worked with these methods before, and now all of a sudden there's a computer that's telling you what to do, um, having something that can help you understand that a little bit better is, you know, that level of trust is also pretty important uh, in order for stuff to actually succeed when you try to roll it out. So not just, not just the person doing the, the model building and whatnot, but the people also who might be relying on the results of the model. Yep. Yep. Um, And, and anybody else, you know, having trust in a model is a, that's a good thing. And like you said, a lot of times if we have a simpler model, then 
the model itself can be kind of self-explanatory. So a good example of this is linear models, where you can just read off from the coefficients of the model itself, kind of how each feature impacts the final prediction that you make. But for more complex models, there's it can be a lot more complicated. So if you're thinking of something like a neural network or uh, a random forest where you have a whole bunch of decision trees that are all making decisions kind of in parallel and then aggregating up those, those results, those, that's just a lot to hold in your head at once. And so what you want to do in those cases is uh, usually come up with some kind of simplified model or simplified inputs that approximate the real model in the region that you're interested in, which is like the region near a case that you want to predict. Um, and then that simplified model is easier to understand. It can kind of give you an approximation. And so that's the general idea behind a lot of the uh, model interpretation tools that are out on the market right now. So we've done one episode at least about this before with an algorithm called Lime. Uh, and I'll, I'll dig up a link to the old episode if any of you have started listening more recently than in the last year or two, which whenever we covered that. Um, but there's a whole bunch of these. There's Lime, there's DeepLift, LayerWise, Relevance Propagation, uh, Shapley values. We're going to talk about Shapley values today. But the general idea is that there's a whole bunch of different options that you have about ways that you can build out some of these simpler models that allow you to do the interpretation a little bit better. That sounds awesome. That makes a lot of sense. Awesome. That context helps a lot with kind of understanding the the problem and why we're doing this in the first place. Um, you just mentioned a bunch of algorithms. How do like how do you know which one to use? I guess like are they all just different means to the same end, and you just try all of them and, and see which one does does the best, or is is there some other way to decide? Well, that can lead you into trouble because sometimes they give different answers, and so then you're like, oh mm. well, so what makes something like a good explanatory algorithm? And I'm following right now a paper called A Unified Approach to Interpreting Model Predictions. We will have a, um, a link to this on the website per usual. Um, but they, have a f they cite in this paper a few different attributes that a good feature, uh, feature importance or feature attribution method should have. So the first is what they call local accuracy which means if you have a simplified model that's approximating a more complex model in the neighborhood of a particular point that you want to make a prediction about, that if you put the same inputs into the simplified model as you do into the original model, you should end up with the same answer. So the idea is that it gives you, if you have a model <laughs> that's easy to interpret, but it gives you the wrong answer, like it's not a good approximation, then... right that's a violation of local accuracy. So it should, uh, right. okay. you know, give you the same approximate answer as the model that you're trying to interpret. So that's one. Second is a property called missingness. And this one's kind of interesting because sometimes in different cases, you end up in a situation where there's features that are missing for different cases that you want to interpret. So a good example of this is maybe if you're doing text classification. So in text classification, usually what you're doing is putting in a bunch of words into some kind of complex algorithm. Now, 
what if there's a word that's missing in a particular case? Well, depending on how you structure the inputs, that could be a problem. But the general idea is that if there's a feature that's missing, then it shouldn't have any impact on the answer that you get, or it shouldn't have, it shouldn't be showing up in uh, the feature attribution that you have. So I'm not doing a very good job of explaining this. Let me, let me try with an example. Let's suppose you have a decision tree and the decision tree is trying to figure out if somebody has pneumonia or not. So you mm -hmm. have a list of symptoms and then you build your little binary tree and you go down the leaves and tells you whether you thinks you have pneumonia or not. Now let's say that the features that you have in general in your data set are whether you have a cough, whether you have a fever, and whether your toe hurts. Now you might build a model that depends on cough and fever, but doesn't have anything about whether your toe hurts. So whether your toe hurts is a missing feature. Well, in that case, if you're trying to make an explanation of whether somebody has pneumonia or not, some prediction, that prediction should not have anything in it about whether your toe hurts or not, because that's irrelevant in the original model. So it shouldn't be showing up in the explanation. Mm, okay. So again, not super complicated stuff, but just things that are, uh, well, we'll get to why this is tricky in just a second, but let me come to the third one, which is consistency, which is where if a feature is increasing in its contribution to uh, the outcome, then that feature is increasing in importance. So again, this is fairly simple, but it's the idea that if there's some relationship where adding more of a feature to a case, so let's say, let's say again with the with the pneumonia case, let's say there's some kind of relationship where the higher your fever is, the more likely it is that you have pneumonia. Mm -hmm. Well, in that case, then increasing the value of, if you're trying to predict for any individual person, does this person have pneumonia or not? And you were to take that case and dial up the number that you put in for someone's temperature, so increasing the fever, then that should be an increasing share of the explanation that you get relative to if they didn't have a fever oh, at all. Oh, I see. I see. All right. So, yeah, there's so there's a proportionality to the um, algorithm that you want explaining the rationalization behind the, the outcome. You want that to have that proportionality, to have that understanding of the, the relationship of the inputs to the output. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, Yeah, that seems kind of simple. Okay. Right. Yeah. So these are all kind of ways of encoding or intuition, I think, in a sense. Mm. But it's a useful exercise because what ends up happening is that for a lot of these methods, you can come up with pathological examples, or sometimes they're not even that pathological, but just areas of phase space where you can't get all three of those at the same time, which is kind of strange. Except uh, in the case of Shapley values. So Shapley values, we're going to explain those in just a second, but they're these quantities that come to us from game theory, which is sort of a subfield of economics originally. But the idea is that a Shapley value gives you a unique solution that satisfies all three of those criteria at the same time. So it's the only, it's the only solution that does that. And some of those other cases are kind of like sub values or like particular sub cases of Shapley values. Um, so the argument of this paper, like I said, the, 
the title of the paper is A Unified Approach to Interpreting Model Predictions. Uh, the argument here is that Shapley values maybe are a way of uniting uh, a bunch of other different feature attribution methods, um, or in cases where they aren't uniting them, kind of making the implicit argument that Shapley values have uh, these particularly nice properties of local accuracy, missingness, and consistency at the same time, and kind of like the Shapley values are good ones. You, you know, the best option that you could take. I will let the, the listener decide whether you think you agree with that assessment or not. Not here to pass judgment, but it's a, it's a pretty bold and interesting claim, uh, so it's worth talking about. Okay, so I guess uh, I guess my next question is what so what are they like? Yeah, we're talking about them, but I, I yeah, fair question. Uh, yeah, so I, <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. In an <laughs> episode dedicated to Shapley values. It's like, yeah, so let me explain them kind of in the game theory context first, and then okay, the analogy to model interpretation I think is actually pretty straightforward. Yeah, this is good. So the context of the problem in machine learning. We'll talk about Chapley values with respect to game theory, and then we'll bring that back to the original problem that we set up. Yeah, yeah. So the original problem that they were trying to solve in game theory is that sometimes in game theory, you have a situation where there's different people who are cooperating with each other to achieve an outcome. So a good example of this might be the composition of a soccer team. So a soccer team has 11 people on it, and there's usually a pretty well-formulated set of different positions that each player plays. And so then if you have a soccer team that's really good, one of the questions that you might have is how important is each one of those individual 11 players to the overall performance of the team? And it's a little bit complicated because there's just one outcome that you see, but there's 11 people who are contributing to it. Right. So if you have a game where the other team almost scores a winning goal and the and the is it the goalie the goalkeeper goalie, i don't yeah, know yeah, sure. I, yeah you can you can you can tell i'm a big sports fan uh and the goal defender person uh blocks it then you would say oh that the the goalie was really really important in that particular game uh, well, that's true we're not quite de- deconstructing it on that level. So let me let me pose it to you this way. It's a little bit of okay. a strange thing, but let's imagine that you had you were running an experiment where you had a whole stadium full of soccer players. You have thousands of soccer players, mm. and you're pulling out different subgroups of soccer players and composing teams of them. And so sometimes you have a team that's just one person, and then that's probably not a very good soccer team. Uh, and so in general, they're not going to, and let's suppose that instead of it being in discrete goals, so usually like soccer games, they end up being scores of like two to one. Uh, let's imagine it's something that's a little bit more continuous. So let's say a typical score might be, be between zero and a hundred. So if you yeah. only have one player on the team, then they're probably not usually doing that well. Because uh, you only have the contribution of one person, so maybe they're really mm. good. Maybe it's yeah. a they score from zero to a hundred. They score a ten, but you know, if you have if you were to have two of those people, then maybe you have one who's really good and one who's like also pretty good. So you have one of them who's a ten by themselves, and let's say a second one who's a nine. 
by themselves. But maybe when you put them together, uh, because they can pass it back and forth, instead of it just being 10 plus 9, maybe they get like 21 or 22, because there's Ooh. gains to having them both in there together. So the idea is that as you're adding in people, maybe there's they're not just adding up kind of linearly, but there are certain combinations of them that are more or less yeah. high impact. So, And then maybe you had a third person who's a five by themselves, but they play like really, really well with the first two. So, mm. you know, they're not adding on five, they're adding on, you know, another 10 when they join with the combination of the first two there already. And then let's imagine that there's a fourth one and that fourth one gets in fights with the first two. And so that fir- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the fourth one might be a seven by themselves, but when you add them in, they're actually just a two because they kind of like make it worse in some cases. And then let's imagine that you add in a fifth one and it's a goalie. And so, oh my gosh, all of a sudden you have this position that's totally different from any type of position that you had before. So this isn't a person who's passing or anything like that, but they're playing a really unique position on the field. Well, that's that might be very, very valuable uh, and so you add that in. But now let's say you add in a sixth person and they're also a goalie. Well, okay, but you already have a goalie. So that person, if they were the first goalie <laughs> you added in, that would be a really oh. big deal. But because they're the second goalie, it's like not as high impact. And yeah. so the idea is, you know, you're building up this team. You're trying to understand the coalition that you're creating here. But it depends on the different combinations of people and the different... Uh, the order even in which they're entering the game. So like I said, the first goalie that you get is going to be really valuable, but maybe the second goalie is Mm. like, doesn't add anything. And so in order to understand how the impact of, you know, the composition of the overall team, how that reward can be attributed to each of the individual players becomes a much more complex problem because it's like, well, it depends on who else is already there. It depends on these nonlinear interactions between all of the uh, all of the different ingredients and just the the credit attribution problem gets really, really hard. I see what you're saying. Yes. That's, yeah, that is complicated. Um, it, it almost feels also like um, like workplace dynamics when you're working with like a project manager and you're working with a designer and you're working with a, uh, a couple of developers and and everyone is kind of playing these different roles. And if you have two managers, that second manager is not going to add all that much necessarily um, or might even detract. Well, as a manager, uh, you can never have too many. Ma- no, I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot you're a manager. Yeah. Uh, I should be careful what I say. <laughs> totally <laughs> kidding. kidding. So anyway, um, and so the question is, is there some way that we can kind of summarize? But at the end of the day, maybe you have certain players who just are really, really good or they're really, really high impact and they just have higher values than the other ones. When you kind of, you know, imagine you were to add up every different combination and every different ordering of players that you could compose here, uh, there might be people who consistently are higher impact or lower impact. And so there should be some kind of calculation that you can make looking at all of those different scenarios that summarizes the credit that that person deserves overall. And that is what a Shapley value is. So what it, the way you calculate a Shapley value is you look at all the different 
combinations and of coalitions that you could have. So coalition is just like the teams that you can Groups, combine. Yeah. yeah. And you have to try out all the different, you know, all the different orderings because like we said, depending on who else is in the coalition already, somebody might have a bigger or smaller impact. So you have to, you know, kind of do like this very large multiplication problem. And so for each one of those different scenarios that you construct, you pay attention to when I add in a given actor to this coalition, what changes in the overall credit that, that the team gets, and then kind of add all of those different contri- contributions up for each player. You divide by the number of scenarios that you have, and then that's the Shapley value that is associated with that person. So it's a fairly wow. straightforward thing to calculate. It's just gets really uh that's a interesting concept intense. though like i i hadn't thought of that before you know like w- when you think about the the value that someone brings to to a team of any sort or to a group of any sort um at least as a as a human being my brain automatically thinks okay what what does this individual or what does this uh player or actor bring to this situation in the best case or in the worst case like i I have this um, bias that I enter that calculation with, uh, but this is specifically just talking about, I guess it's just averaging every single possible contribution that the actor or player or person could have in every single situation, just averaging all of that out. And then, and then you can kind of imagine, okay, if you add this person to some arbitrary situation, they're going to have an average impact of whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's the exact idea. Um, and so it's it's a fairly straightforward process. Um, I'll yeah. attach a link. There's a pretty good explanation that I found this talking about how to do this for um, a marketing application, but it kind of walks through a scenario that does one of these calculations in a simple way. So if you're really interested in the details here or don't believe me, you can kind of go through the exercise. But the main point that I'm trying to make is that the main thing that makes this difficult is just for situations where you have potentially lots of different compositions of coalitions, then you have to go through the exercise of knowing what each of those credit assignments that you get is and doing all the, just sort of doing all the math. Um, anyway, here's the, here's the tie back though. So that's what a yeah. Shapley value is, is it's that like average over all the scenarios of, how much an actor adds. So now instead of composing a team of soccer team of players, uh, instead all of our players, uh, the, the outcome that we're interested in is not how many soccer points did you score? The outcome that we're interested in is what's a prediction that a machine learning model is making on an individual case. And the players, instead of being soccer players, are all of the features that could be going into making that prediction. And so as we turn features on and off, how are the outcomes changing? And what does that tell us about the importance of that feature uh, to the model? So wait, tell me if I got this right. I I might not. But you have a complex model. You want to make a simpler model so you can more easily understand what things are important. And so you figure out, you calculate the Shapley value uh, or the average impact in all of the configurations for each of the features that are in your complex model. 
And then based on that, you decide which ones to turn off for your simple model. I'm not sure if it's turn off exactly, but I was with you until, yeah, until like that last little bit, but it's basically like that Shapley value um, tells you how important a given feature is for a given prediction. And then Uh, that helps you with the interpretation. Oh, I, oh, I see. I see. I see. So this is about, this is not about creating a simpler model necessarily, but about understanding how the prediction was made by looking at the Shapley values of the features to figure out which ones were important. Yeah. So, and it's that it's not, what it's not doing is deconstructing the model itself. So for example, if you have a neural network model, what a Shapley value is doing is it's not telling you anything deep and profound about the structure of the neural net. Right. But what it's doing is it's kind of like turning features on and off or like adding them in in different power set combinations, looking at the outputs that you get, and then weighting all of those different scenarios against each other to understand the impact of the feature. We're now starting to get into some of the stuff that I wanted to cover uh, in the next episode a little bit, and we've been going for a while. Yeah. So I think I think maybe here's where I call it, but to answer dun, your dun, question dun, from the top, yeah. to answer the question from the top, I think the scenario that we have here uh, for your pun question is that usually what happens with the pun scenario is that I come with some idea of what we're going to talk about, and you come in with some some pun skills and then the (laughs) thing that happens is when the two so each of us alone is not not enough to make a machine learning pun no sometimes when we're together there's that like interaction effect from the coalition that we form and then occasionally we have good puns that's as far as we both have though so we both have mediocre shapley values So it's kind of interesting because, well, I'm now I'm really getting into the next episode stuff, but you can like, you can do Shapley values for the interaction terms between features, which is kind of cool. What? Anyway. Oh man. Now I'm Oh yeah. We we got to stop. Yeah. We got to stop. Yeah. Next week. (laughs) Yeah. Next episode. Okay, cool. All right. Well, um, so bear with us for a week as we're signing off now, but, uh, to be continued a little bit more about the, the guts of how sometimes this stuff is used for machine learning. Linear Digressions is a creative commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at lineardigressions.com and katie at lineardigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at lindigressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.